We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. The names of Philip and Nathaniel are linked by their introduction to the first chapter of John. Both became apostles and both were martyred for their faith in Jesus. In regards to Philip, we notice that there are two men by that name who occupied the stage of the early church. One was the apostle Philip, who was martyred in AD 54, and today's program is about his life. The other, Philip, was the evangelist one of the seven deacons chosen by the church to help with the special needs of the growing band of believers in Jerusalem. Both men had a heart for evangelism and the accounts of their lives have often been intertwined in the subsequent telling of the stories gleaned from the sacred Bible history. Philip the Apostle is mentioned several times in the Gospel of John, but only once in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 verse 13, he is mentioned alongside Bartholomew, who was also known as Nathaniel. Philip the deacon, however, appears in Acts a number of times and is instrumental in the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, as well as the spiritual outbreak among the Samaritans. In the book of Acts, The whole of chapter 8 is dedicated to the evangelistic endeavors of Philip the deacon. In Acts chapter 21 verse 8, Philip the deacon is mentioned as hosting the apostle Paul on his last journey to Jerusalem. They may have had further contact during the two years that Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea by the sea before his journey under guard to Rome. Philip the apostle came from Bethsaida a town in northern Israel close to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. His non-Jewish name may indicate the degree to which Bethsaida was influenced by the Greek culture and language that preceded the Roman occupation. The fact that Corne Greek and not Latin was the trade and official language of the times indicates that Latin spoken by Rome had not superseded Greek to any great extent. We see that Rome recognized Greek as an official language of its empire and that it was one of the three languages used for the inscription placed above Jesus' head when he was crucified. Luke chapter 23 and verse 38 tells us that an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. The Gospel of John gives us four glimpses of Philip the Apostle in action. The first of these also introduces us to Nathaniel, who is the second martyr discussed in today's program. We read in John chapter 1 verse 34, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now this is an unusual request for anyone 
to make when you have just met someone and for the first time. And Jesus, who is heading to another location, namely Galilee, says to a stranger, follow me. What makes the story more interesting is that Philip responds positively to Jesus' request. He obeyed the command and right away he became a worker for Jesus. When Jesus called Philip to follow him, this young disciple immediately went to find his friend Nathaniel and invited him to meet Jesus. Once he received the information, he was determined to act on it. Philip is a type of what every person should be after they hear the invitation of Jesus, follow me. We have the same opportunity and privilege to invite others to come and meet Jesus also. Philip called Nathaniel, who had been among the crowd when the Baptist pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And as Nathaniel turned and looked to see who John was speaking about, he was quite disappointed. The man he saw did not measure up to his expectations in regards to what the Messiah should look like. Could this man, who displayed the marks of physical labor and poverty, really be the Messiah? Yet Nathaniel would not yet allow his prejudices to reject Jesus as the Messiah. The message of John regarding Jesus had brought a living conviction to his heart. By the Holy Spirit, he felt that what John had said concerning Jesus was the truth. When Philip called him, Nathaniel had withdrawn to a quiet grove to meditate upon the announcement of John and the prophecies concerning the Messiah. The words of the prophet John had deeply impressed him, and now he turned to the Word of God to see if his convictions lined up with the Bible prophecies concerning the Messiah. He also prayed that if the announcement by John that Jesus was the Deliverer was true, that God would make it known to him. The conviction of the Holy Spirit rested upon him with assurance that God had visited his people and raised up a horn of salvation for them. Philip knew that his friend was searching the prophecies, and while Nathaniel was praying under the fig tree, Philip went to find him. They had often prayed together in the secluded spot hidden by the branches and the leaves. The message of Philip saying that we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets had written seemed to Nathaniel a direct answer to his prayer. Philip still had a growing faith and with some uncertainty in his voice he added, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth was not known for its pedigree. It did not have a reputation for producing any prominent or successful people. It was a place considered low on the socio-economic scale. Again, prejudice arose in Nathaniel's heart, and he almost involuntarily uttered these words, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip did not enter into any argument with Nathaniel in regards to his prejudice. He simply said to Nathaniel, Come and see for yourself. We read in John chapter 1, verse 47 and 48, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. In surprise, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This evidence was enough for Nathanael. The same divine spirit that had given witness to him in his solitary prayer under the fig tree 
now also spoke to him in the words of Jesus. Although in doubt and yielding to prejudice, Nathanael had come to Christ with an honest desire for truth, and now his desire had been satisfied. His faith now went beyond that of Philip, who had brought him to Jesus. He answered and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The second time the Apostle Philip is mentioned is when he spoke up in the discussion before the feeding of the 5,000. Philip offered his estimate of what it would cost to buy food for such a large crowd. John chapter 6 verse 7 tells us, Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. His practical observation regarding the lack of financial means simply highlighted Jesus' miraculous action. When circumstances look impossible, when there is no visible resources to provide for your needs, when life demands more than you are able to give, that is when the Creator can step in and supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. God has the power in His Word to command light to shine out of darkness. He speaks things into existence and makes things from things that did not previously exist. The question is, do you trust Him completely? Do you believe Him and believe His Word? You can test His promises for you in His Word. He will not disappoint you. Jesus took the food which was to sustain one person. He multiplied it by more than 5,000 so that when everyone had eaten as much as they wanted, there were still 12 baskets of food left over. On the third occasion, Philip is mentioned when a group of Greek speakers wanted to approach Jesus and they asked him to act as an intermediary. We read in John chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Again, Philip was instrumental in taking people to Jesus. Now, the fourth time Philip is mentioned is when John records his request to Jesus during the Last Supper in John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus' answer to Philip was for all the disciples in verse 9 and verse 10 of John chapter 14. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. One of the unique features surrounding the Apostle Philip is his connection with the area known as France. He is the only apostle claimed to have carried the gospel to the Gauls, the ancient inhabitants of that region. Philip the Apostle has also traditionally been linked with Hierapolis in western Turkey. The church he led in that city was just outside the circle of seven churches mentioned by John in the first few chapters of Revelation. Culturally, Hierapolis 
had a Phrygian background. And that region focused on the god Zabasius, represented by a snake. Geographically, Herapolis was the site of magnificent mineral springs rumored to have healing powers and drew people from many parts of the world. This gathering of various nationalities would have attracted an apostolic missionary. Historically, Herapolis became a large Christian city. The ruins of Herapolis today include the remains of several ancient churches. Philip may have paid with his life in order to sustain the church. The pagan priest of Herapolis may have been delighted to profit from visitors from many places of the world, but they didn't appreciate having their religion directly challenged as Philip's message would have done. Crucifixion was a favored punishment by the Romans, but the practice may have become even more widely known because of its prominence in the preaching of the followers of Jesus. This may explain why so many of the early missionaries were themselves crucified. In Philip's case, the religious establishment apparently arranged for him to be crucified and stoned in AD 54. This was 10 years after the martyrdom of the first apostle to die for Jesus Christ, the Apostle James. This tactic of killing the messengers of God had proven to be the most ineffective way of trying to stop the gospel. Nathaniel, who was also known as Bartholomew, was martyred 16 years after Philip in AD 70. Nathaniel's initial response to the news about Jesus was a mixture of skepticism and even sarcasm. When he heard where Jesus came from, he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus greeted Nathaniel with perceptive words, which immediately let Nathaniel know that he understood him. Imagine a person greeting you with, Behold an Israelite indeed, in who is no deceit. Nathaniel was stunned. How do you know me? he asked. Jesus had just identified his central impulse. Nathaniel was curious as to how Jesus could be so well acquainted with him. To this question, Jesus responded with a description of Nathaniel's location when Philip found him. Jesus' perception was enough to convince Nathaniel that Philip was correct. This was in fact the promised one and he confessed his newfound faith in saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, if Nathaniel had trusted to the rabbis for guidance, he would never have found Jesus. It was by seeing the, and judging for himself that he ended up becoming a disciple. There are many in the world today who are held back by prejudice. They do not venture much further than where they started. How different would be their results if they also, like Nathaniel, would come and see? While they continue to trust in human knowledge and authority, they will not be able to come to a knowledge of saving truth for themselves. Nathaniel's example in the Bible encourages us to study God's word for ourselves. Like him, we also need to pray for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. He who saw Nathaniel under the fig tree will see us in the secret place of our prayers also. Philip's example teaches us the importance of personal effort in making appeals to our family and our friends and our neighbors. There are many who for most of their life have claimed to know Jesus, 
but they have never made a personal effort to bring even one person to Jesus. All that kind of work they leave for the minister who may be well qualified for the task, but one man cannot do the work that God has given for all the members of the church to do. Many in the world need the loving touch of a truly converted Christian. There are many who have lost their souls who could have been saved if a Christian friend had made it a personal goal to bring them to Jesus. Many who we know are waiting to be personally spoken to. There are opportunities for us all around to bring precious souls to Jesus and to follow Philip's example in this invitation that he gave to Nathaniel. Now here is the punchline, and it is quite confronting. If we are Christians and we are truly Christ, this work to call others to him will be our greatest joy. No sooner is a person converted and within him there is desire which springs up to make others know about this new best friend he has found in Jesus. If a person has been saved, that is, if he has been justified and set apart for Jesus, this truly will be impossible for him to lock up in his heart this knowledge and this joy that he has in knowing Jesus personally. Everyone who is dedicated to God will be a channel of light. God deputizes these consecrated ones by the baptism of the Holy Spirit to communicate to others the enormous wealth of his currency of grace. Philip said to Nathaniel, Come and see. He did not ask him to accept another's testimony, but to see Jesus for himself. And now that Jesus has ascended to heaven, his followers, as his representatives, his deputies, are here to represent him on earth. One of the most effective ways of winning souls to Jesus is by living out his character in our daily lives. Now, how is this ever going to be possible, you may ask? It is by denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following Jesus just like Philip and Nathaniel did. It is by abiding in Jesus and having Jesus' words abiding in us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. Our influence upon others does not depend so much upon what we say as it does upon what we are. Men may argue and defy our logic. Men may resist our appeals. But a life of self-sacrificing love is a living witness that cannot be argued against. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A consistent life which is known by the meekness and love of Jesus is a power in the world. A person baptized with the Holy Spirit has this power of God working in his life. This brings an atmosphere of holiness wherever they go. And it is through the Holy Spirit that Christ is manifested in his people. The teachings of Jesus was the expression of deep conviction and love. Anyone who prioritizes their time to learn from Jesus will end up becoming a teacher just like their master. 
The word of God, when it is spoken by a person who's been set apart through it, has a life-giving power that makes it attractive to the hearers. By this power imparted by the Holy Spirit, the hearers are convicted that what has been spoken is a living reality, a living truth. When a person has received the truth, internalized it, and loves it, it will be demonstrated in their manner of persuasion and the tone of their voice. They will make known what they themselves have heard, seen, and touched regarding the words of life. Their desire will be that others would also share in this fellowship and this joy through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Nathaniel's first expression of his faith was full and sincere. It entered like music into the ears of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus received Nathanael's declaration with the promise that he would eventually have many more reasons for recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. Nathanael was one of the group of five apostles who began to follow Jesus as the Messiah shortly after Jesus' wilderness experience. Nathanael is mentioned in the naming of the twelve in Matthew chapter 10, in Mark chapter 3, and Luke chapter 6 by the name of Bartholomew. He is mentioned by the name as Nathaniel one other time as part of the group of seven disciples who went fishing after Jesus' resurrection. And then he had breakfast with him on the shore as mentioned in John chapter 21. Nathaniel is not credited with any words or actions throughout the gospel account of Jesus' ministry, not in a big fashion other than the short words we had shared with you. As far as the accounts are concerned, he was simply there watching listening and following Jesus. With someone like Simon around who was always eager to leap into the verbal breach, men like Nathaniel were content to observe and listen. The apostolic career of Nathaniel is also linked with that of the apostle Judas, also known as Thaddeus. Both are credited with the spread of Christianity to Armenia. Tradition has him traveling to the east as far as India. The historical consensus located his ministry and martyrdom in Armenia, a land to the northeast of Palestine between the Black and Caspian Seas. As has been demonstrated repeatedly, those who bring the message of Christ often lose their lives as a direct result of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Even while living peaceably and doing good, believers have often been cruelly persecuted. The mixed response by the world often parallels the response to Jesus that he received while here on earth. Some who hear the message simply decide that they would have to give up too much in order to acknowledge Christ, and they decide instead to eliminate his messengers. How short-sighted is that when you focus on what you're going to lose rather than focusing on what you're going to gain, a relationship with the King of the universe, the Creator of heaven and earth, eternal life and joy unsurpassing, a love and a joy that will not disappoint where the world continuously disappoints. Our focus should not be down. Our focus should be upward. Jesus has come to give us life and to give it more abundantly than the world could ever give us. Now, we may desire to equate faithfulness with safety and success, but there is little reason for us to do so. Some of Christ's most effective and faithful servants have suffered the same fate as their master. 
They were despised and rejected by the very people who they approached with good news of a savior and his message of peace. Under Nathaniel's influence, the gospel penetrated every facet of Armenian life except the stronghold of local pagan religious leaders who rightly perceived Christianity as anathema to their belief system and their demonically energized practices. Their powers were no match for the power of God exercised by Thaddeus and Nathaniel. Their idols were proven impotent. Believers from royal ranks on down began to worship Jesus and the God of the Bible. Many were baptized and the church grew by leaps and bounds. Meanwhile, the pagan priests conspired with the king's brother to protect their power and system of beliefs. Underhanded maneuvers led to Nathaniel's arrests and torture. He suffered flaying, a particularly gruesome form of abuse in which a person's skin is almost entirely removed by the use of whips. He was then crucified in agony, some accounts say head down, and allowed to die a martyr's death for Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining me on Souls Under the Altar again today. I look forward to catching up with you again next time. Until then, may God bless and keep you. Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.